Today on Blue 58, the hype around the Packers cornerbacks is very real and, for the most part, I think, very justified. No position group on the Packers has this combination of talent, depth, and continuity from last year. How, then, can they possibly live up to what everybody expects of them? Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of ThePowerSweep.com. I am your host, John Meerdink. Very happy to be with you here for another episode. Of course, we are talking cornerbacks today. But I want to take a second to veer off in a different direction first. Mark Murphy said this week that he is going to be retiring in three years. The Packers have a mandatory retirement date, well, age, I guess, built into their bylaws. Uh, Since he is a member of the board of directors, he has to retire when he turns 70 years old, and that is going to be in 2025. I think that's a good thing. Not that he's retiring, but that the Packers have the mandatory retirement age built in. That saves them from a lot of headaches and forces them to do something very important for a big business. And they, make no mistake, are a very big business. They have to start planning for the future in terms of their team management. And planning for the future is a big part of making sure that your succession plan is a success. We'll talk in the future about what it looks like to succeed Mark Murphy, who that could be. I have some guesses. One very good guess, I think, in the building already. He's been learning on the job for a while. That's a that's a different discussion. But I want to talk briefly about how Mark Murphy is going to be viewed in Packers history and in the broader scope of things, NFL history. Maybe a little bit surprising to hear, but I think Mark Murphy is headed for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. He played in two Super Bowls as a player, winning one, and he won one Super Bowl as an executive with the Packers. He has overseen a period of unprecedented financial success in Green Bay. He has shepherded the Packers through not one, but now two major quarterback controversies. As an executive, he's been at the center of making sure that that all got smoothed out, and he's worked it out both times for the Packers' benefit. He's also put the Packers in position to make a lot of money and be stable long-term. He's kept them, in short, in good financial health. And that is the goal for any executive in football, even ahead of winning. We are conditioned as fans to believe that winning is not just everything. It's the only thing, to paraphrase Vince Lombardi. But that's really not the case in professional sports, because that word professional means this is a business and businesses exist to make money. And the best thing that you can do then as an executive is put yourself in a position to continue to make money in as many different ways as possible. And that's exactly what Murphy has done. Sure, it helps to have a good team on the field to make money, but he has done a lot to shore up the Packers' financial security for the future. And that is crucial for a team like the Packers because the Packers don't have that deep-pocketed owner to come in and give them an infusion of cash if they need it. If the Packers want to do something like, say, sign Aaron Rodgers to a big contract extension, they've got to put up the money themselves. They've got to make sure that all of the guaranteed money is secured by themselves. They can't have whatever their owner would be. Write them a big check to make sure the cash flow is all good. They've got to cover the cash flow themselves. And so there has to be a certain amount of money on hand to make things like that possible. And Murphy has safeguarded that to a very, very great degree. 
He's also given the Packers new income streams. He has expanded out their business interests from where they were prior to when he took over. He has helped shepherd them into a new era of the NFL. If you want to knock him for struggles in the late Ted Thompson era, I think that's fine, but I'm not sure that criticism is entirely justified either. Rewind the clock to 2014. We are in Seattle. I know it's not comfortable to remember that game, but the Packers that year were an onside kick recovery, among other things, away from going to the Super Bowl for the second time in five years. You're not making a change after that season. Neither are you going to make a change after 2015, given how injuries affected that season. In 2016, they're back in the NFC Championship game, not entirely because of the strength of their roster top to bottom, more because of a great Aaron Rodgers run, but the talent was still there on that team. And then 2017 is the end for the Ted Thompson era anyway. When in there are you really going to make a change? Okay, you want him to be more involved with hiring and firing coaches prior to what happened with Mike McCarthy. Fair, but again, the Thompson model... Thompson overseeing every football decision was a a model that had been in place since Ron Wolf took over in 1992. Are you really going to deviate from that just because, you know, Mike McCarthy hangs on to Dom Capers too long? I don't think so, because that sets a bad precedent, and Murphy, I think, was very conscious of that precedent. If you still want to criticize him for that, I think it's fine, but I think there are some things you have to overcome there. So Thompson ends in 2017. How does Murphy come out of the Thompson era? Well, he decides he needs to be more involved, and he does that by hiring Brian Gutekunst and rearranging the Packers' uh, management structure. That was the correct move. It's been correct and has worked since then. He fires Mike McCarthy midway through the 2018 season. That, too, turned out to be the correct move. He hires, or at least is involved in the hiring, of Matt LaFleur. Again, the correct decision. He, again, to circle back to this, navigated a really tough situation with Aaron Rodgers. Well, Rodgers is still in Green Bay, and he won an MVP after those problems, and now he is in Green Bay for what seems like the duration. Murphy's been involved in a lot of those decisions, and as we now have a firm end to his time as an executive in Green Bay, I think we can start looking at how this era has gone on balance. Do you wish they could have won more Super Bowls? Absolutely, but that's always going to be the case. You're always going to to wish you had one more. He's done a very good job of keeping the team healthy and stable, and I think as as he's grown and matured as the team's president, intervening when ne- when needed, and it's worked. He's made a lot of really good decisions, and I think history is going to look pretty kindly on his tenure as the Packers president. Cornerbacks. The Packers cornerback room is, I think, unique on the roster. It was probably the strongest position top to bottom of any group. I was trying to sort through this today and, and come up with a, a comp for who else might have a claim to that, and I really couldn't come up with one. I, I don't think there's any any position on the roster that really compares to cornerbacks in a, in a few different ways. First, they've got a bunch of really good players. They've got a lot of depth there. But on top of that, they're they're carrying over a lot of really good players from last year. Two really good ones in Rasul Douglas and um, Eric Stokes, and then they're adding back in Jair Alexander, who, for reasons we'll talk about in a little bit, I don't think you can really count as being part of their 2021 team. Just look at the top six corners on the Packers roster. You've got two high draft picks in Jair Alexander and Eric Stokes. 
You've got a high-priced free agent, in a way, in Rasul Douglas. You've got guys with significant connections to this coaching staff in the form of Keyshawn Nixon, who worked with Rich Bisaccia previously, another draft pick in Shamar Jean Charles, and then, and then another guy who's been around for a while in KB Ento. Just looking at the layout there, how could you not have wildly high expectations for this group? The blend of overall talent, the production from last year, and the experience of those guys from last year, as well as things like draft pedigree and guys that have just stuck around for a couple years. I mean, this is as close to, I think, your best case scenario for a hand-picked position group as I think you're going to get. And yet I have some problems with the expectations. Because for, well, I guess basically since the, the 2021 season ended, we've talked about how great the Packers cornerback room could be this season. And nobody's really talked about what it's going to look like for that room to be great. And I don't have a a real answer for that either, because there's a bunch of other moving parts that go into that on top of whoever they end up playing this year, because a lot of defensive performance has to do with who you're playing against. What does it mean for the Packers cornerback room to be great? I don't have an answer. And I just fear a little bit that in our expectation that the, the Packers corners are going to be great this year, without figuring out what that really means, we're going to end up disappointed. So I want to approach talking about corners with some caution. I think the one thing looking through predictions that I'm going to make for each player here that that comes up again and again is plays on the ball, though. When you look back at the Packers' defenses, basically, well, let's say 2009 to present, because that's when, when Dom Capers took over as as um, defensive coordinator. Then you've got uh, Mike Pettin from 2018 to 2020, and then Joe Barry in 2021. When the Packers' defenses have been their best, it's when they've made plays on the ball, especially at the cornerback position. So 2019 really stands out, and really the entire Woodson era, but in particular 2009 and 2010 stand out. Then 2021 stands out because uh, you have Rasul Douglas in there um, making plays left and right on the ball. I think if you're going to look at one area where the Packers' corners can really be great, it's those plays on the ball. So interceptions, passes defensed, uh, and then you, you go further down the list, things like forced fumbles and stuff like that. But getting their hands on the ball is, is I think, a fair measure for success for this, this Packers' cornerback room. I think that's fair because they have so much talent everywhere that other teams, at least in theory, aren't going to be able to kind of affect the Packers' plays on the ball numbers by just throwing away from one guy. So in the past, we've seen in weaker years in this Packers' secondary, when it's just been Jair Alexander and Kevin King, for instance, Jair's numbers get hurt because teams can just say, okay, where's Jair Alexander? Let's not throw in that direction. Let's look over here. And we'll target Kevin King instead. And then Kevin King's numbers end up being bad because, well, there's a whole host of reasons there. That's not the case this year. If you're looking for greatness from this Packers cornerback room, I think it starts with plays on the ball. Making plays on the ball, I think, is going to define this cornerback room this year. It's not going to be good enough to just cover guys because that often isn't good enough anyway. 
They've got to be real playmakers, and I think they have a chance to do that, and I think Joe Barry is going to put them in positions where they're going to be able to make plays on the ball. Let's talk about those guys individually, but first, I want to give you one last pitch for our podcast scholarship ongoing thing here. Your pitches are due, if you're listening to this on Friday, July 15th, by tonight at 11.59 p.m. I'm excited to share with you what we've gotten uh, in terms of pitches so far, uh, coming up in the very near future, I want a couple more. I want a few more. I want to hear what you have in terms of an idea for a Packers podcast. I want to help you make it. Give me your idea. I will get you started with your podcast hosting and a microphone. We'll get you up and running and see what you come up with. I want to help other people achieve this goal for creativity that they have. I want to help other people put out good Packers content. And this, I think, is a really direct way to do that. Give me your podcast pitches. Email them to thepowersweep1959 at gmail.com. Get them in by 11.59 p.m. Friday, July 15th to be considered. All right, Packers cornerbacks specifically. Starting with our no expectations group, overall expectations are going to be pretty high for this position group. There are no players with low expectations. I do have three guys for whom I don't really have any expectations this year, and that's going to be Rico Gafford, Raleigh Tejada, and Keandre Thomas. Uh, Gafford is close to the ultimate project player on the Packers roster this year. He was a cornerback coming out of Wyoming, then he was switched to wide receiver because he's super-duper fast, and now he's back to cornerback again. And look, when you say he's super-duper fast, you mean super-duper, because like 4-2, 40-yard dash even in that conversation, that's inarguable speed. Is he more than that? Well, we're still kind of waiting to find out. Raleigh Tejada, also pretty fast, former college sprinter, 23 career college ball hawks. He'd be my pick of these three to be interesting this year. He's got some work to do with the depth chart the way it is ahead of him. Finally, Keandre Thomas arrived to the Packers in January of this year, uh, played four games with the Chargers in 2021, six feet tall, 186 pounds. Just if he had any experience in the Packers system, I'd probably slot him in above someone like Kabion Ento if he had direct experience with what the Packers are doing. That said, he played with the Chargers last year. Who's the head coach of the Chargers? Brandon Staley. What system does Brandon Staley run? It's the Vic Fangio um, pattern matching zone system. Guess who else was in that system in Los Angeles with the Rams? Joe Barry under Brandon Staley. You see the connection there. It may be a little bit of a stretch for a guy who only played four games with the Chargers in 2021 to say, okay, he's got relevant experience to the Packers. I don't think you can entirely ignore it either. But really, it'd be a stretch, I think, to to say any of these three guys is going to be a, a big player on the Packers cornerback depth chart this year. KB on Ento, though. Looking back over his time in Green Bay, I think it's fair to say 2021 was a disappointment. It looked like he was in position to make the roster in training camp. But he was bumped off by the late trade for Isaac Yadam. Couldn't really tackle in the preseason. Still very good athlete. Still can jump out of the gym. Expectations, I think, are in the moderate range for him in 2022. Because I don't think you can say there are low expectations for him because he's gotten too much time with the Packers already. But he also can't just hang around the bottom of the roster anymore. We're at put-up-or-shut-up time for KB Ento. You've got to make the 53 and, and prove that you belong. Eventually, prospects have to go from being prospects to players. KB Ento is in that zone now. You've been a prospect for a couple of years in Green Bay. It's time to become a real player. So meet those expectations by making the 53. Unfortunately, I think he's going to get depth charted out of town. 
he's not going to make the 53-man roster this year. The chart ahead of him is just too stacked with either guys who are really good, guys who are much more recent draft picks than he was, and he wasn't drafted at all, or guys that know the coaches in a way that have already bumped Ento off the roster previously. I'm talking about uh, Keyshawn Nixon, who has significant Rich Bisaccia connections and probably is going to put Ento off the roster in the same way that Isaac Yadam did last year. We'll talk about Nixon here in a second, but I want to address Shamar Jean Charles here first. He was a fifth-round pick last year, played in 14 games almost exclusively on special teams, only 37 snaps on defense in 21, but 231 special team snaps. Moderate expectations as well for 2022. The Packers moved on from Chandon Sullivan in large part because of him or guys like him, Keyshawn Nixon. He was drafted to be a slot guy which the Packers, in theory, have an opening for. They need somebody who can step in and play in the slot, although there are other ways that they're probably going to try to fill that role first. It seems like he's got a pretty clear path to the roster here. So Gene Charles needs to meet those expectations by getting some real playing time on defense, earning some real playing time on defense, and not looking out of place. If there's a very obvious knock on Shamar Gene Charles, and it's one entirely out of his control, so not really fair either, but he's real small. And so he's got to make some noise in the slot because he's going to get beat up if he tries to play on the outside. I think there is a chance that he ends up uh, playing a fairly significant role on the defense this year because he's got good ball skills and he's going to to have a a year of NFL football under his belt. I predict that he's going to have 200-plus snaps on defense this year. What about Keyshawn Nixon? Skeptical but hopeful about Keyshawn Nixon. He arrives in Green Bay after three years with the Raiders, first in Oakland and then in Las Vegas. He played special teams under Rich Bisaccia there as well. Basically a part-time corner in his NFL career to date. More of an outside guy, generally speaking, despite all of the local Packers media talking about him as a slot weapon. The vast majority of his slot snaps in his career came in exactly two games late last year. And you get the impression, though I haven't done a super deep dive on it. That was just because the the Raiders had nobody else to put in the slot at that point in the season. It's definitely not his primary skill set. The the Raiders didn't look for him to be some sort of lockdown guy in the slot. So don't get your hopes up too high for him being a slot guy because I think his role is pretty clear. Moderate expectations to be sure, but fulfilling those expectations is going to come down to what he does on special teams. Be a special teams ace for the Packers, then chip in wherever you can on defense. I think you've met our expectations for 2022. I predict that he's going to be top three on the Packers in special teams tackles this year. He's going to end up with 200 plus special team snaps. That's pretty low hanging fruit. It seems pretty obvious why the Packers want him in Green Bay. Those are our moderate expectations, guys. What about people for whom we have high expectations this year? Pretty obvious to figure out who that might be. We have in order from low to high, though all of them facing pretty high expectations, Eric Stokes, Rasul Douglas, and Jair Alexander. Let's start with Mr. Stokes. 2021 went basically perfectly according to script, and then some. As I hoped, he took over for Kevin King early in the season, doing an injury to King. Who would have figured? And he never really gave the job back. Ball skills were a knock coming out of Georgia. And that proved to be true in Green Bay as well. But he made up for that lack of ball skills by just not letting the ball come his way all that often. Wasn't perfect. There were some bumps in the road. But pretty darn solid 2021. And I think expecting him to build on that puts the expectations high. And that's not just me saying that either. 
Google his name, and you are going to see no end of headlines about him. Here is a selection. Touchdown Wire writes Packers cornerback Eric Stokes is the best 2021 rookie you need to know. Yard Barker, Eric Stokes, the other Packers lockdown corner. Packers Wire, Packers view cornerback Eric Stokes as a budding star entering second season. Yahoo NFL, Eric Stokes to be a critical piece of Packers defensive success in 2022. The bar is set very high for Eric Stokes. So how does he meet those expectations? Starts with being really good. But what does that actually look like for Eric Stokes? I think he needs to be a rock-steady outside corner for the Packers in 2022. Rasul Douglas and Jair Alexander are going to get plenty of opportunities to handle those slot duties. They're really not going to ask Eric Stokes to do that, I don't think. It's really not his skill set. seems like a waste of a, a really solid outside corner to put him in the slot anyway. So just lock up one outside corner spot, then build on 2021, you're in real good shape. Prediction-wise, I think Eric Stokes is going to have three or more interceptions this year. He's going to have 15 or more passes defensed. And I think he's going to finally seal the deal on something that happened for him a couple times, very nearly, in 2021, by scoring a defensive touchdown. Plays on the ball. What about Rasul Douglas? Looking at the overview of his 2021 season, I think there's no other way to describe it other than a literal rags-to-riches story. On the Arizona Cardinals practice squad, having been shuffled around a whole bunch of teams after ending last season, the season prior, excuse me, 2020, with the Carolina Panthers, Rasul Douglas arrives in Green Bay, takes over when Isaac Yadam can't cut, cut it in one game, and then basically is on fire for the rest of the season. It's easy to forget that he was the consolation prize in the Packers' quest to get Stephon Gilmore. It looked like Gilmore was coming to the Packers there for a while, ends up going elsewhere. And after that, Rasul Douglas ended up having one of the more remarkable seasons by a Packers corner in recent memory. He kind of plays a, a risky style, but that's fine because if you're the only one taking risks, that can work. And the Packers have always had plenty of help behind him and elsewhere in the secondary. When you've got a a steady Eddie guy like um, Adrian Amos behind you, you can afford to take a few risks. Adrian's got your back. That's what he's there for. After signing a, a relatively big, not huge contract, but big enough to make people notice, I think we have to have pretty high expectations for Douglas in 2022. That shouldn't be a surprise to anybody. He meets them by playing at a Pro Bowl caliber level. He might end up making it on scholarship regardless of how good he ends up being in 2022. But people saw the interceptions last year. They think, oh man, he's super good now. If he has anything comparable to that kind of a season, he might make it again. I think he's going to approximate that in terms of statistical coverage. Five interceptions would be a lot again. His career high was three prior to last season. I think he gets at least that many three or more interceptions for Douglas in 2022. And I also predict that he's going to lead the Packers in ball hawks. So that's the total um, passes, defense, interceptions, fumbles, forced, sacks total that we keep track of. He's going to lead it. He's going to be tip top on the Packers in that category. Finally, Jair Alexander. 2021, I think, essentially a lost season for Alexander. He only ended up playing 216 snaps. To ballpark that for you, that is fewer than TJ Slayton, fewer than Tyler Lancaster, fewer even than extremely part-time player Henry Black. 
We just didn't see a lot of Jair Alexander last year. He did make it back for the playoffs. And then what did we see there? Eight snaps, the last of which, well, functionally the last of which, I I don't actually know if he played any after this, but the, the last real thing we saw of Alexander in 2021 was a missed tackle in the backfield on a key third down run by Debo Samuel. One of those very frustrating situations where a guy makes the play, but then doesn't make the play. He should make that tackle. You're in the backfield, you've got Debo Samuel squared up, you should make that tackle. To be fair, better tacklers than Jair Alexander have been made to look pretty bad by Tebow Samuel. That's kind of just what he does. And many, if not most, if not all of those players were not coming back from a bad shoulder injury tackling for the first time in months. Still got to make that tackle, though. You're on the field, you got to do what's asked of you. And he was in a position to make that play, and he didn't. But he heads into 2022 facing very high expectations. He has been in the best cornerback in the league conversation now for a while. He's got a new big contract, and in theory, he is still ascending as a player. So how do you even begin to meet those expectations? Quite simple. Look like the best corner in the league. You've got it by reputation. You're in the conversation by reputation. Look like it. Play like it. So, I predict that he's going to do that. I predict that he's going to make the Pro Bowl or whatever the equivalent is now. I predict, though, it's not going to be because of him making a whole ton of uh, plays on the ball. He's going to have fewer than four interceptions this year. He's also not going to be tops on the Packers and Ballhawks because teams are going to try to stay away from him. He's going to finish on the season third on the team in Ballhawks. That's it. Just that simple. That's going to be the Packers cornerback season. And that actually is all I've got for you on this episode of Blue 58. Because given that we went deep on a couple of topics in this one, I thought we would save the next chapter of the games that change the games or the game until next week. Because next week we're talking about, or in the next chapter, we are talking about uh, the zone blitz defensive scheme perfected by Dick LeBeau in Pittsburgh with a significant assist from a name you might recognize, Dom Capers. But that's next time on Blue 58, because I'm going to let you go. Thanks for listening. Thank you for downloading this show. Thank you even more for downloading it and sharing it with somebody you think would enjoy it, because that's the number one way we grow. Your word of mouth helps us reach new listeners and helps more people get involved in this conversation that we're having about the Green Bay Packers, which is going to help all of us, me included, maybe me especially, become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.